passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. <laughs> get it? With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Pass gas. I'll see you there. It's October 16th, 2011, at the IZOD IndyCar World Championship. The blazing Las Vegas sun beats down on the back of driver Dan Weldon. As a trickle of sweat runs down his forehead and onto the bridge of his sunglasses, Dan mentally prepares himself for the challenge he's about to face. Tall and athletic, with piercing blue eyes and a charismatic smile, Ooh, sounds like Zach. Dan Weldon is hot off his victory at the Indy 500 and eager to maintain a winning streak. Thousands of IndyCar fans pack the stands, crying out in admiration as he makes his way towards his Dallara IR05 marked number 77. After tapping on the nose of his car three times, Dan slides in on the non-gear shifter side of the car, praying that his pre-race ritual will protect and guide him like it always has. But how could he possibly know that he would be getting behind the wheel for the very last time? On that fateful day in Las Vegas, on the 11th lap of the race, Dan Weldon was killed in a 15-car pileup that left IndyCar reeling. All at once, the world had lost a loving father, a loyal friend, and a legendary driver. But how did this unflappable Englishman break through to IndyCar stardom? How did he turn down the offer to race in Formula One? And how did his tragic death shape the future of Indy? Today on Pass Gas, we explore the legacy of IndyCar champion Dan Weldon. Well, we started off with a death. Yeah, so. so right away, I don't feel like making many jokes. I thought of a joke, though. Oh, let's hear it. Can you imagine dying in Las Vegas, not on cocaine? <laughs> I could tell you wanted to say that. I did. <laughs> I want to say, not even seeing no naked people or nothing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. No, I, can't. I mean, if I died, I've often thought I would maybe die in Vegas, mm. but I'd be on drugs and seeing naked people. At the same time, presumably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really uplifting episode today, guys. Written by your fiance. Yes. Chloe did write this one. Oh, yeah, we never thanks. It's really well written, but effective. My name is Nolan Sykes. Uh, use it. Uh, I'm still trying to find that catchphrase. <laughs> I guess no, it's you good. introduce it's us, good. and then I'll introduce you. Okay, 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 okay. I'm a host, but sitting next to me, <laughs> Joe Weber. Yay! Keep it juice. James Pumphrey. What's up, all you little tiny animals? <sighs> and then speaking right now is our main host. Main host. Main host. Main host. All right, How the hell is he more of a host than us? Already, he's regular host. Yeah. 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 A third of the host takes Let's care of a it. third of the hosting duties. <laughs> That's right, goose it. All main right. host. Yeah, Hell right. yeah, buddy. A hostess with the most. Around the, the waist, maybe. I gotta hit the gym. Did you do your phrase? I said goose it like 50 times okay. when, you, when you guys goose are arguing it. over. Uh, I run uh, now. Uh, yeah. I go on runs. Yeah. I don't like running. 
Nobody does. No. Not even people who are into it. I f- yeah, I found uh, when I was doing kickboxing last year, that's when I actually was like, oh, you know what? Cardio can't isn't that bad if it's really fun. Uh-huh. Kickboxing is a lot of fun. You get hit in the head a lot if you're doing it but wrong. The whole, I like that the whole motivation of kickboxing, I did some kickboxing earlier this year, is to keep yourself from getting hit in the head. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm doing this. But the goal is to not get hit in the head, yeah. Yeah. which is you don't pretty get cool. Hit in the head. But I mean, when you're having fun, cardio is not hard, you know. But right. like, I just find running, I just don't. I just well, you got to get into the fantasy of it, because I pretend like I'm training for not getting hit in the head. Oh, I put on the Creed soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> I nice. thought you meant uh, Human Clay. <laughs> no, oh. I did listen to Creed the other day, <laughs> and I was with Riley, and I was like, I think she doesn't know that I'm doing this ironically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I've also been like listening to Green Day and Food Fighters and Weezer and stuff, and mm-hmm. I think she's like, oh, I guess he liked Creed too. Yeah, it would be weird to bring it up now and be like, just so you hey. know, last week, <laughs> the other day, you may well, have listened to yeah. uh, Soothing Sounds Listen of Scott Stapp. I think this happened when we were out of the when I was out of the country, but RIP to the lead singer of Smash Mouth. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, truly that, that sad, sad stuff, anyway. 22 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't no joke. (laughs) Do you think that someone started his eulogy with like, somebody once told me. (laughs) (laughs) He's like looking down like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, son of a bitch, you got it. If I was down there, I'd strangle you and you'd be up here with me right now. (laughs) Anyway, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, And also rest in peace. Dan Weldon. So let's talk about Dan Weldon. The eldest of five children, four boys and a girl, Dan Weldon was born in 1978 and raised in Emberton, England. That was pretty young. Yeah. Confident and determined from a young age, Dan spent his early childhood exploring the lakes and greenery of his small village. Quaint. Dan's love for speed and competition was evident early on, as was his deep affinity for cars and motorsport. For those who knew the Weldon family, this natural interest was not shocking. Though he was a plumber and a heat electrician by the time he had children, Dan's father, Clive. Cool name. Yeah, I love Clive. Clive Pumphrey? That's sick, dude. That's pretty Put that in your bank. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting it in my mental mansion. Oh, he's really straining. Oh, oh no. Dude, too much. Too much. I can just remind you. I'll just remind you. (laughs) When you have a kid, I'll just text you. Yeah, yeah, we we can write it down. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> My mind mansion. <laughs> Not going out here. Also, plumber and heating electrician. Dude's making loot. It's a good spread there. Bank. Yeah. Uh, his dance father, Clive, had been a dedicated go kart driver in his youth and even met Dan's mother, Sue, at one of the many races where she served as a timekeeper. Oh, that's nice. cool. That's a, made, that's a meat cute. That is a meat yeah. cute. Meat what cart. was my time? Meat uh, I don't know, 8 o'clock to 9 at this restaurant? Oh, oh shit. I was going to say 69 question mark. <laughs> <laughs> but yours is cuter. <laughs> Way more appropriate. <laughs> It made perfect sense that these two passionate racing fans would produce a child obsessed with making a name for himself behind the wheel. Is that how it works? What? Like, if two parents have an interest, their kid also Absolutely. Has- Sometimes. You ever met sports parents? Yeah. yeah. Lamar love our ball? Yeah. Lamar Burton. Lamar Burton's <laughs> kids love reading. Well, I was just going to say- <laughs> And pretending if, to be blind. If, if Chloe and I have children, they're going to be- Car obsessed, musical entertainment people. Yeah, they're people gonna, like gonna, me. You like musicals? Know. Do you like thoroughly oh, modern musicals? Mil- Millie? Thoroughly modern Millie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We listen to that. It's not. Do you really? We Chloe will throw on a musical from time to time in the car. So I'm. <laughs> my little shop of horrors. Very good. That's good. That's my favorite one. That's all I know. <laughs> I used to know a bunch of songs from Thoroughly Modern Millie. I wish I could bust one out right now, but I can't. Interesting show. Anyway, uh, at only four years old, Dan continued in his father's footsteps and raced his very first go-kart at four. Wow. It was an instant rush, a feeling so natural it felt nearly predestined. Later, when asked about his time as a kart racer, Weldon would say, quote, Karting was incredibly intense. Motor racing is all I've ever known. I just got the bug. 
It was not even like I knew I wanted to do something else. By age eight, Dan was racing competitively. By 14, he began racing internationally. This is when people started to take notice of the unflappable Dan Weldon. He was often described as gregarious, youthful, brash, confident but likable, or as the Brits might say, a cheeky devil. That's right, baby. As his talents blossomed, he made a name for himself in open wheel racing, even developing. Mm, developing. What? What? Developing. What did you say? I don't know. Developing? Dude. Developing. Damn, you sound like a baby talks. Yeah. Even developing a regular. <laughs> <laughs> you do a whole episode talking like babies. Our subscriber base just. I feel like there's a way. weird fetish group that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Our biggest that. episode yeah. ever. Oh. I'll talk about cars like a baby. Uh, even developing a rivalry with fellow racer and eventual F1 champ, one Jensen Button. Which was on DRS. He was on DRS. Go Go check that episode out. Big highlight of my year so far. By his late teens, with eight national titles under his belt, he was only just getting started. Eight titles, dude. This kid's the goat. Goat. But as his career began to take off, Dan began to feel a little unsettled. He had the grit, talent, and charisma to become one of the greats, but how the heck would he get there? At this point, Dan was still fully supported by his family and money that he was able to bring in from various races, but it was not enough to accelerate his career. To fully achieve his ambitious goals, he needed more. Dan needed sponsors, and he knew the U.S. racing circuit could grant him the opportunity to get them. But could he leave behind the home he had known his whole life? It was time to decide. What legacy did he want to make for himself? Weldon's career trajectory was heavily influenced by his racing idols, one of whom was Rick Mears, a renowned American racing driver and four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Weldon respected Mears' accomplishments and looked up to him as a role model for success in American open-wheel racing. Dan also held great admiration for Nigel Mansell, a British racing driver who achieved success in both Formula One and IndyCar and also had one of the best mustaches of all time. Uh, If you've ever seen the wild thornberries, (laughs) Nigel Mansell starred in that as the dad. (laughs) Mansell's tenacity, versatility, and fierce competitive spirit resonated with Weldon and inspired him in his own racing career. These athletes, among others, played a significant role in shaping Dan's racing aspirations and fueling his passion for the sport. He knew that to follow in their footsteps, he would have to make a name for himself in America. At 19 years old, he decided it was time to take a chance on his career and move to Los Angeles, baby, for show business. No, he, he just moved to the U.S. At 20 years old, he decided it was time to take a chance on his career and move to the United States in 1999. Dan's transition into American racing seemed to go off without a hitch, starring Will Smith. <laughs> what is that? And Kevin James. Yeah. yeah. The King of Queens. What do they call that? And uh, Eva Mendez. Longoria? No, Eva Mendez. Yeah. Ryan Gosling's baby mama in Hitch. Mm. Yeah. So they remember that song that, they wrote for, that he wrote for that? Who did? Will Smith wrote a song for Hitch. Really? Called Hitch. It was on Now That's What I Call Music 18 or whatever. Was it like, I'm a Hitch. I'm a superhero. (laughs) No. Hitching people. Oh, no. That's a different one. That's Hancock. 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 Hitch is like the same as Ryan Gosling's movie, Crazy Stupid Love. Mm Kind of. That's a great movie. Yeah. His engaging personality and ability to connect with fans and the media contributed to his marketability, and this reputation was key in attracting support for his racing endeavors. He was also able to find sponsorship from John Bados and Van Diemen, the owners of J-Hard Primus Racing. Oh, Weldon was a race car driver. He drove some goddamn fast. Van Diemen is a pretty sick name. Van Diemen is a sick name. Van Diemen. Yeah, it's like kind of rockabilly. Yeah. A little rockabilly. Boonga, 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 Demon, I play bass for the Misfits. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, have you seen that? Is it the bassist that looks insane? Von Frankenstein? Yeah, Von Frankenstein is the guitarist. Oh, And he actually started as a like a roadie for them. And He's then insane looking. He would fill in on guitar. He, was, he played his first show at the Misfits at. No, I don't think he's yoked yet. They're all yoked. But he played his first gig with the Misfits at like 15 years old. Whoa. Yeah. And he's like uh, 
super vegan dude too. Yeah, but like when you're super vegan, but also are clearly on like PEDs, <laughs> like what does that mean? Yeah. But well, it means you are judgmental. But while his professional career was taken off, his personal life hit a wall. Dan had always been close with his family and found it difficult to maintain a relationship with them from across an ocean. He spent the first three months of his career flying back and forth from the U.S. to the U.K., and the jet lag was beginning to eat away at his focus and performance. Bados and Demon had put their trust in him, and he felt he was letting them down. If he wanted to win, he would need to fully commit to his new life across the pond. And commit he did. In 1999, shortly after attending Woodstock, his first year in America, <laughs> Weldon competed in the US F2000 National Championship, a junior open wheel racing series. He impressed in his rookie season and won the championship title. Following his success in US F2000, Weldon moved up to the Toyota Atlantic Championship in 2000. Follow the money. <laughs> Driving for the PPI Motorsports team, he finished second in the championship stand. Grow up. I can't. Second in the championship standing, securing three race victories along the way. Nice. He did it all for the peepee. Did it all for the peepee. What? The peepee. What? So you can take that diggy and stick it up your whoo. Stick it up your Stick it up your Stick it up your peepee. I did it all for the peepee. What? The peepee. What? So you can take my pee-pee and stick it up your woo, stick it up your woo, stick it up your woo, stick it up your. Sounds like an owl. Woo, woo, I saw an owl the other day, dude. Those what? things are what sick. Was what was okay. it doing? Was it chilling? Now that I'm running, yeah, you're seeing a lot more. I'm birds. outside a lot. Yeah. At night. Oh. And it's sick. Oh, I thought you were a mouse and I tried to eat yeah, you. Yeah, it's a giant. Uh, I want you to take a good look at me and say anything would think I'm a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, you thought I was a wizard, <laughs> some sort of warrior. Oh, that's why he came and delivered a letter to you. <laughs> he was like, "Woo, <laughs> woo, man, woo!" I did. I've seen two meteors. Whoa! Recently, whoa! I saw an there owl. Might be Starlink satellites is coming back into the atmosphere. I, I was immediately like, "Okay, I, it was cool to see that, but I hope I don't start seeing like a bunch of a them. bunch of them." Yeah. And then they all fall down and we die. But things would really kick into high gear when in 2002, 24-year-old Dan Weldon was offered the chance to drive the number 15 Pennzoil Delara Chevrolet for Panther Racing. Panther Racing. Nice. This wasn't just any race. This was IndyCar. That was a great mountain line, by the that way. That was so good, yeah, dude. Sick. Do it again. I was going to try to do I was nice. going to try to do it, but uh, there's no way. I, was I don't want to close follow to that. that. Yeah. <laughs> follow that. Uh, I quit the Panther business. <laughs> oh, man. Go! <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Dan had the opportunity to follow in the steps of Rick Mears, Nigel Mansell, and all the other indie inspirations. Dan was poised, ready, and hungry for the opportunity to make his mark on IndyCar history. Let's go, dude. In 2002, Andretti Green Racing was looking for a test driver for their IRL car, the first of its kind to incorporate a Honda engine. Hmm. Impressed? Oh, did I mention I've seen Mario Andretti? <laughs> I was waiting for it, yeah. dude. Impressed by his skill and ambition, AGR signed Dan on as their test driver. While he loved the team, Dan was gunning for an opportunity to race in the 2003 season. But once again, sponsors would be an issue. Without mm. the proper funding, Dan would have to sit out the season. However, one driver's misfortune would turn out to be a windfall of good fortune for Dan, as Dario Franchitti broke his vertebrae in a motorcycle accident only a week before the oh Indy God, Japan dude. 300. What great luck! Why are you okay? This is something I bring up all the time on DRS. Yeah. Race car drivers. Stay. Stay off the motorcycles and bikes during don't, the season. What are you doing? Don't ride a horse. What the don't hell are you doing? Ski. Don't do anything. anything. You get to do the sickest thing every week. Yeah, what more yeah. could you want? Yeah, it's the one thing that might be nearly as cool as a fighter jet. Yeah. You because drive a fighter on jet on the ground. Yeah. It has wings. Yeah. 
And you get free clothes. Yeah. Most importantly, <laughs> you get free clothes. All the flabber hats you want. Yeah. yeah. I bet you get free Panera. Probably. Free hospital food. Yeah. Oh, dude, I love. I'm. You think it's gonna go? Who do you think's gonna <laughs> be a good team in 2024? You think Red Bull or Mercedes or Panera? Panera. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Panera, just like entered F one like hard, like Audi Panera F one, and they just had like their livery was just like their menu. Yeah, like a terrible looking car, but they're like good. Yeah, God, I don't want to root for Panera again this year, but it's like I don't know, man. It almost sounds Italian too, like Panera, 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 Paninfarina. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah, dude, Panera, get us, get a, let's start up one. Get up so much sandwiches. Scuderia Panera. <laughs> That's a uh, shirt. Yeah, Scuderia Panera. <laughs> the livery, uh, your helmet could just be broccoli cheddar soup. That would be yes. funny as hell. Yeah. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. <laughs> Get it? With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Were the helmets sick in the Japanese Grand Prix? Yes, they, they had, dude, Alonzo. Mm-hmm. Had, had the samurai. samurai one. He has that tattooed on his back. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, Lewis had a, like a whole chrome helmet. That yeah, was, that was I like that. Have you yeah, seen the, the press one. photos of it? Uh, yeah. It's like yeah. Daft Punk, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I wouldn't wear a helmet. No. <laughs> or I'd do a clear one. That'd be, Ooh, that'd be some innovation would be there. Sick, I don't man. know if you could. Because there's padding inside yeah. it. Too. That'd be kind of sick, though. Yeah. 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 Honestly? Honestly? Not going to lie, dude. No cop? Could be sick. No cop? Weldon's debut season with Andretti Green Racing proved successful as he showcased his skills and secured his first IndyCar race win at Twin Ring Motegi. Hey. Oh, I meant to bring this up in the last episode, but it's called Mobility Resort Motegi. That's That's sick. The official name when you Google it. Do they have a spa there? Probably. Do they have prime rib? Probably. Do they? Then it's a resort. Mobility computer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's your brain, dude <laughs> Mobility computer, dude This victory and his overall performance Throughout the season solidified his position Within the team In 2003, when Michael Andretti Whose dad I have seen In his underpants <laughs> retired Dan stepped in officially As their third driver 
Hey, Michael, I seen your dad in his undies. <laughs> well, so then, what, you want to fight about it? <laughs> <laughs> Weldon's warm and outgoing personality allowed him to forge meaningful relationships with fellow drivers. He was especially close with Brian Herta, Scott Dixon, Tony Kanaan, and Dario Franchitti. He was finally finding his footing and solidifying himself as an essential part of IndyCar racing. So it was time to prepare himself for the big leagues, the Indy 500. You're in the big leagues now, buddy. You're in the, the big, big leagues, leagues now. Remember those little leagues? <laughs> that was child's play. <laughs> those little leagues were child's play. Now you're in the big leagues with the bad boys. <laughs> in bad boys for hire. <laughs> In Dan's first Indy 500 in 2003, he spun out on lap 187. His car hit the outside wall, <laughs> flipped, and landed upside down, but he survived and took 19th place. In 2005, things went a little differently. The race took place on May 29th, with Dan starting from 6 on the grid. Throughout the race, Dan showcased his talent in racecraft, gradually working his way to the front of the pack. As the laps wound down, a thrilling battle for the lead ensued between Weldon, Danica Patrick, and Vitor Mera. And at the time, Danica Patrick was a prominent figure in the IndyCar series, breaking barriers as one of the few female drivers competing at the highest level of open-wheel racing in America. We've done a whole episode on it. Check her. out that episode. Check it out. Check the, out that app. This led to what the Check fans... Check out that app. <laughs> oh, don't come to me if you're crying about it. You're in the big leagues now. Crying. That's what, yeah. Not cool. In the big <laughs> That's for child's kid. Yeah. <laughs> first grade, like, second grade, grade, third grade, fourth grade. That's all fine down there. But now you're in the big leagues. These leagues are big. Hence <laughs> the name. It's like your grandpa giving you a pep talk. He, he doesn't <laughs> know what baseball sense. is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's most dad's. Of like our gender, at least my dad like didn't know how to play <laughs> sports, but like would did not stop him from really coaching me. I have thought about that. I know, right? I have thought about that where it's like I haven't played baseball in like thirty years at this point when I, a kid uh -huh. can play. It's like I, yeah, I don't know the I, basic mechanics of baseball. Yeah, my dad didn't have Google. So like my dad was like looking. He's not going to the library, be like, okay, I don't want to tell him anything wrong. He's just like. Yeah. You are bad. You need to. You are doing it all wrong. Did your yeah. dad ever coach you? Not as a coach. No. You I see all those players sitting down over there. They call that the gutter. <laughs> the gutter. If you don't play well, you go sit in the gutter. <laughs> There's alligators in there. I read an article about like that's one of the things that's holding soccer back from taking off in America, is that none of the, the American don't know what the dads know yeah. how to play soccer, and sense. like the way that American dads just like. One, they won't learn how to play mm. soccer yeah, because they don't need to, I guess, no. to coach it. And so, like, their instinct is just, like, chase the ball. Go get the ball. Go get the ball. Go after the ball. But that's not they how don't you understand play the mechanics, soccer. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. So, like, just kids who grew up playing soccer in America are just not good. I was today years old when I found out you don't go after the ball. <laughs> Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. <laughs> Punch the ref. Punch the ref. <laughs> Be aggressive like me. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> With just seven laps remaining, Weldon executed a remarkable outside pass on Danica Patrick, taking the lead and seizing control of the race. He managed to stay in front, crossing the finish line to claim his first Indianapolis 500 victory, becoming the first English driver to win the prestigious race since Graham Hill in 1966. Damn! Damn! The win marked a significant milestone in Weldon's career, propelling him to the forefront of the IndyCar series. But ironically, most people forgot about that victory that day. They were still talking about Danica. Weldon took this in good humor and was later photographed in a t-shirt that said, actually won the Indy 500. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of effort. Yeah. That's like not that funny. <laughs> that shows that he was like very upset about it. If he went, that is, like, I'm going to have a t-shirt made because the lady is, got more yeah, press. This is back in the early 2000s too. Like mm -hmm. that took some effort, I think. Screen yeah, right? a, yeah. yeah, at least one phone call. Yeah. Like that yeah. means he was like pretty upset. I'd be upset. so nervous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, obviously he wasn't going entirely unnoticed. Offers were flying in for Dan left and right. In 2006, he decided to drive for Chip Ganassi Racing. 
Later that year, he revealed that he turned down a spot on the BMW F1 team. A what? Feeling they couldn't guarantee him enough time in the car. Quote, I do love Formula One. There's no doubt about it. It's what I grew up knowing. But I felt none of the offers were good enough in order to leave America. They couldn't set anything out in stone to give me that opportunity. Wow. Most racers would jump at the chance to race an F1, but Dan lived life by his own rules. This fearlessness was a divining quality of Dan both on and off the track, and it was this kind of bravery and unwavering dedication that earned him the moniker Lionheart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the midst of his racing success, Dan attended a promotional event for his sponsors. It was 2006. He was hot off his first Indy 500 win, and fans had just voted him IndyCar's most popular driver. All eyes were on him. But that night, there was only one person who he wanted to impress. One Susie Bem. Susie was becoming a bit of a hot shot herself in the world of motorsport marketing and PR, and had been hired to put on the event. Dan was immediately impressed by her ambition and focus, and after a few more months of running into one another at racing events, he hired her on as his personal assistant. It wasn't long before their professional relationship turned into a romantic one. I love when Me Too works out. Mm-hmm. And the two were married in 2008. Susie was an incredibly important part of Dan's career, usually working behind the scenes to arrange their minute-by-minute schedule, traveling with him and the crew, all while caring for their two young sons, Sebastian and Oliver. Those are very British names. The most. Yeah. yeah. Sebastian. Seb is a cool name. Sib. Seb Pumphrey. There's a skater like named Clive. Bastion Salabonzi. Who is that? He's a skater. Oh. But I always cool thought name. Bastion was a cool Bastion, name. Bastion, like uh, Never Ending Story. Never Ending Story is like that silent movie where the moon is in it mm-hmm. to Gen Z. Where he gets like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets like stabbed in the eye with a yeah. lunar lander. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want I want to I want Joe, I want you to do like a VO pass on that movie. And when the moon gets hit he's like, ow I can, ah, you, you can do a good shit. owl. There's no dialogue in I it. I know, but I know it's like, like that that I think you should leave sketch where uh, I make yeah. <laughs> what the Despite the difficulties of life on the road They just seemed to really dig each other Dan absolutely loved being a father and a husband When asked how they make it work Dan credited Susie for all she had done for him Saying she understands that this is all I've ever done She knows that racing creates the personality in me that she loves Hmm. That's cool it helps that she's part of the racing world, too, so she mm-hmm. interfaces with a lot of these types of people. Mm-hmm. The 2011 Indianapolis 500 was a race filled with excitement, strategy, and a dramatic finish. Weldon's regular team, Panther Racing, <laughs> didn't have a full-time <laughs> entry. Like that rat tat tat song. They really do that sound sounds like, like that. Uh, race car and a panther mix. Yeah, Ooh, dude, that yeah. song is so sick. Also, rat tat tat is one of the best things for a band ever. So good, and rat their tat. album artwork is amazing. Yeah, Panther Racing didn't have a full time entry for the race, so uh, Dan partnered instead with Brian Herda Autosport. Brian Herda Autosport. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you ever heard of Autosport? <laughs> If you look up a list of the most dramatic Indy 500 in history, this one usually makes the cut. The race was jam-packed with drama. Jam. It began. Okay, let me get. Let's get in the Set mindset. The scene. Okay. okay. It began with pole sitter Alex Tagliani <laughs> leading the field. <laughs> Throughout the race, various drivers took turns at the front, including Danica Patrick, Dario Franchitti, and Scott Dixon. Drama. Suddenly, with two laps to go, J.R. Hildebrand, a rookie driver, found himself in the lead with Dan Weldon closely behind him in second place. Oh, drama. (laughs) But on the final lap, Hildebrand appeared poised for victory as he approached turn four. However, as he attempted to pass Charlie Kimball, Hildebrand made contact with the outside wall, damaging his car. Oh, drama. (laughs) Weldon swiftly capitalized on the opportunity, overtaking Hildebrand and crossing the finish line to claim the win. Oh, 
my God, <laughs> This dramatic turn of events made the 2011 Indianapolis 500 a race to remember, and Dan's victory solidified the bond between himself and Herta. The two developed a deep mutual respect and friendship through their shared success, and their collaboration proved to be a pivotal moment in both of their careers. Dan held his trophy high, dedicating the win to his mother, who was in the midst of a battle with Alzheimer's. Weldon's victory marked his second Indy 500 win, and he was now officially a legend. Mere months after his second Indy 500 victory, Dan Weldon was selected to drive the in the $5 million GoDaddy IndyCar Challenge in Las Vegas in the final race of the season. If he won, the $5 million GoDaddy prize was to be split between Dan and a fan selected Whoa. via Horizon Wireless Contest. And a free website. From GoDaddy. My God, what a convoluted concept. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> the $5 million oh. GoDaddy prize to be split between Dan and a fan selected via a Verizon wireless contest. <laughs> so you had to enter a contest to to potentially win a contest? Mm-hmm. And then your hopes are on a, a driver in like a huge field of cars. Yeah. That's fun. Yep. That means... Oh, no, no. Whoever right, feels like... It doesn't matter who the it driver was. It doesn't matter was. who won. Oh, be if split. you won and the driver won, no, those no. are two separate things. It's not like Dan has one fan. No, I know. It's like a fan gets chosen, then no matter who wins the race, they get half. Yeah. He has to win the race. No. It's no, a, he if doesn't, he won. If he doesn't pick the fan, it's it's. I don't a think every contest. driver had a fan anat- like connected to him. I think it was just like, oh, if anybody wins. No, it's if Dan Weldon wins the race, then the fan wins half the money. I just realized we're like the dads trying to explain sports <laughs> that we don't understand to our you gotta kids. You got to be aggressive, James. Yeah. You got to be aggressive. Go be to aggra- the ball. Get after the no, ball, dude. Based off this one sentence, I know it's this. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. This challenge was a new feature in the last race of the IndyCar season as CEO Randy Bernard was eager to revitalize the franchise with a new format. As the press conference wrapped, Dan joked, Thank you for the opportunity, but please don't expect any flips like Travis Pastrana does. Because I'm not into that. (laughs) Huh. Mm, a little foreboding. Yeah. On October 16th of 2011, thousands of fans arrived at Las Vegas Motor Speedway eager to see if Dan could continue his winning streak. Tons of fans' favorites were set to participate in the race, including Danica Patrick, Dario Franchitti, and James Hinchcliffe. The Hinch, man. The race was held on a 1.5-mile oval track and featured a grid of 34 cars. That's a lot of cars on which that is, track. Yeah, dude which is one of the largest in IndyCar history. Grand Marshal Tony Hawk. Yes. Oh, Birdhouse. Yeah, dude. The Birdman gave the famous orders. Uh, gentlemen, start your engines. Like <laughs> <Going> Tony Hawk. <laughs> and just like that, the race began. Wow. The race started with high expectations. Within the first 10 laps, Dan had moved up 10 places. Dario Franchitti was in the lead, and fans were enjoying themselves despite the glaring Nevada heat. Unfortunately, a catastrophe was about to ensue. On lap 11 of the 200-lap race, a massive 15-car crash occurred in turn two. The accident was triggered by contact between the cars Wade Cunningham and James Hinchcliffe, causing the chain reaction pileup. Many cars were launched into the air, with some hitting the catch fence and others catching fire. One of those cars was Dan Zalara IR05. Viewers in the grandstands and watching at home looked on in horror as Dan's car flew into the air, rotated, and struck the catch fence post along the track. This was all broadcast live on ABC. The race was paused as officials took stock of the damage, at which point the broadcast cut to a solemn announcement from Randy Bernard. You could hear the emotion in his voice as he broke the news to racing fans that Dan Weldon did not survive the crash. 
As his airborne car had flipped into the fence, a catch post sliced through it, striking him in the head and causing unsurvivable blunt force trauma. He was 33. The race was canceled. In honor of his passing, they immediately organized a five-lap salute and displayed his racing number 77 at the top of the scoring pylon. In an emotional send-off, the racing world mourned the loss of a devoted family man, a loyal friend, and a legendary driver. Damn. Yeah, it's, um... Dude, that is... I, I, I watched the video of this wreck just kind of, like, in preparation. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the whole thing is on, like... Not just the crash, but also like the kind of race delay and everything. It's like an hour long plus, and like I wouldn't advise watching it. It's pretty f- sad. Yeah, as you can tell in our voices now. But it is on the internet if you want to watch it. But don't. But don't. Don't do it. Uh, IndyCar hadn't experienced a loss like Dan since Paul Dana in 2006. And it is unusual to see a pileup of this nature in the IndyCar championship, but this was no ordinary race. To fully understand why the tragedy occurred, it took months of investigation. The first things experts looked at was the amount of racers on the field, okay? In order to spice up the race, second-year IndyCar chairman Randy Bernard had issued a challenge, a $5 million payout to any moonlighting driver who could win the race. This attracted participants from all over the open-wheel racing community, some of whom had limited experience driving in an IndyCar race. The, the next issue was the design of the track itself. Randy Bernard selected the Las Vegas Motor Speedway because he wanted to attract more fans to the event by selecting a resort destination. But while the brightly lit-themed hotels of Vegas are perfect for a bombastic getaway, it turns out the Speedway was less than ideal for IndyCar. The shape and size of the track was all wrong for an event of this magnitude, and because of the format change, there were 34 races on the track. The high-banked one-and-a-half-mile oval simply didn't allow enough space for this many drivers. Add on to the fact that these racers typically drive at 210 miles per hour or more, there would be little time or space to move around competing vehicles. So now you have too many people with varying levels of skill packed tightly into an arena that was not built to handle that many cars at that fast a speed. Another factor was Weldon's position within the race itself. Because of his recent indie win, Weldon was said to have an unfair advantage in the $5 million challenge and was made to start the Las Vegas Indy 300 in the last row. He had moved up from 34th to 24th in the first 10 laps when the accident occurred. This meant that he was towards the back of the pack when the accident happened without enough room to maneuver past the pileup. And finally, there was the matter of the car itself. Though not the fault of IndyCar, there were some safety features that we have today that they didn't even have back in 2011. In their 2020 season, IndyCar debuted the Aero Screen, a safety device designed to protect the driver's head in open-wheel racing. It's basically like a big, thick windshield. It's not like a halo? It's like a halo windshield thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, without the Aero Screen or similar feature, Dan was left in an extremely vulnerable position during his flip because it was basically car and then his head. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Whereas now there's a bunch of stuff protecting drivers. Finally, Weldon Which was really controversial. <laughs> I know people were. It's stupid. Yeah. No, the halos are going to ruin this sport. Yeah. Finally, Weldon had been the first test driver for a new IndyCar model, the Delara chassis, nicknamed the Safety Cell. Touting a prototype road course body kit and powered by a 2.2 liter Honda V6 engine, this vehicle included upgraded safety features, including upgraded seats and headrests and an innovative new cockpit they hoped would be safer, and bodywork that was meant to eliminate wheel-to-wheel contact. This model was later rebranded to the DW12 in honor of Weldon and his contributions to its development, but it would not. this was not the car that he was driving in the race. One of the things that makes this an exceptionally hard accident to stomach is that Dan Weldon did everything right. He drove exceptionally well that day, he had good instincts, and yet there were circumstances out of his control. Ultimately, his death emphasized the importance of safety and prompted a thorough evaluation of safety measures in the sport. The reaction to Dan Weldon's untimely death sent shockwaves throughout the racing community. The news of his passing sparked an outpouring of grief with drivers, teams, fans, and officials expressing profound sadness and disbelief. Tributes poured in from around the world, highlighting Weldon's talents, personality, and the positive impact he had on the sport. Many praised his skill, sportsmanship, and infectious smile, recognizing him 
as a beloved figure both on and off the track. Over 1,200 guests attended his memorial at the First Presbyterian Church in St. Petersburg, Florida. In a letter of farewell, his wife Susie wrote, My sweet Dan, my whole body is aching, down to the deepest part of my soul. I just want to wake up and hear your reassuring voice. His sister Holly wrote, My brother was truly one of a kind. Dan without racing is like a cup of tea without milk. And Dan loved tea. In 2011, Dan was posthumously awarded the Gregor Grant Award for a Lifetime of Achievements in Motorsport. The award was accepted by his father, Clive and Dario Franchitti. Mere days after his death, the Gold Coast 600 would debut the Dan Weldon Memorial Trophy to be awarded to the international driver with the best aggregate finishing position. This had been previously an unnamed trophy. He is truly memorialized by one of his top rivals but dearest friends, Dario Franchitti. Franchitti won the Indy 500 the year following Dan's death and Dan's own Indy 500 victory and touted a pair of white sunglasses in his late friend's honor. When asked about winning both the year prior to and following Weldon's win, he said, To be on either side of Dan, that means more to me than anything. Vegas last year was the lowest of the low, but the reason we all got back in the cars, the reason the mechanics got back in pit lane, the reason the fans came back to the races is the emotion of days like today. Five years after his death, Andy Halberry and Jeff Olson published Lionheart, remembering Dan Weldon, a 210-page coffee table book filled with tributes, stories, and accolades from Dan's closest friends and family. Some of these stories praised his skills on the track. Some of them described nights celebrating a victory. Tony Kanan describes a particularly heated race where, thinking Tony had cut him off, Dan pulled up along him and flipped him the bird. It's raw, real, and 100% Dan. Dan Weldon was a talented and charming driver who left an indelible mark on the world of motorsport. In addition to his two Indianapolis 500 victories, he achieved a total of 16 wins in his IndyCar career, firmly cementing him as an IndyCar legend. Dan Weldon's legacy exceeds far beyond his remarkable accomplishments on the racetrack, though. His untimely passing served as a catalyst for change, prompting a renewed emphasis on safety in motorsport. Weldon's memory is carried forward by the racing community, which remembers him as a talented and fearless driver who embodied the spirit of competition. Through the Dan Weldon Foundation, his philanthropic efforts continue to make a positive impact, furthering causes dear to his heart. His legacy also lives on in his family. His wife Susie and his two sons, Oliver and Sebastian, his now 14-year-old son, Sebastian, is carrying on the racing business and recently won his first career race in race one of the Skip Barber Formula Race Series at Virginia International Raceway. Good job, Seb. Nice. There you go. Sad story. Sad story. I didn't realize how young he was. We got some listener mail. Hey there, donuts and donuts. Hey. I'm Tanner and... To start off, I'd like to say that what you guys do is absolutely awesome. <laughs> Ask Gas is the first podcast I ever listened to, and I listened to it almost every day since. Wow. Thanks. I also started watching Hilo with my girlfriend, oh. and she liked it so much oh. that it was her pick of shows to watch in the following nights. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All of your content is great, and it keeps me company at work and on drives. Nice, dude. Thanks, guys, for all you do. Anyhow, <laughs> listening to you guys talk about lawnmower incidents on the Lucy Shell episode of Past Gas reminded me of a story from a family friend. He was strolling behind his push motor. In flip-flops, one seemingly normal summer day, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the safety flap at the back of the mower had been removed, leaving an open path right into the spinning blade. I think you can see where I'm going with this. Uh -huh. <laughs> I sure can, Tanner. <laughs> he stepped just a bit too far forward and was shocked to watch one of his toes exit the mower free of his foot. No. Now adding insult to injury, his dog. No. Yes, his no. dog had been waiting in the wings for God knows whatever reason <laughs> and swooped in to swallow the dearly departed digital. No. Nail and all. No. Oh my God. Oh Nail and all. Oh. It was never to be seen again. Wow. Now, the gentleman, the moral of my story is never trust a mower. Uh huh. A guy in flip flops. Uh, okay. 
or a dog. (laughs) Thanks again, guys. Keep it fired up, juice heads. Sincerely, Tanner Z. Wow. Dude, I'm chasing my dog if I see him. Cap. Cap? No way, dude. What do you mean? No, that's one of those situations where you're like, and you stick your finger down his throat. I don't think a dog, this guy's lying. Oh, you think he's, you're calling, I thought you were calling Cap on me chasing him. No, dude, I do not doubt that you're trying to get your toe back, It would be hard, though, because your toe is missing. You need that big toe. I know. I'm running. You do. You do. I don't need my big toe. No, yeah, you do. For what? Your big toe and your pinky. Your big toe and pinky. I've seen your steps counter. You know. (laughs) Actually, no. I've heard that people who lose pinky toes and big toes. You remember the number. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really affects your walking ability because your pinky and your big toe are what you like balance the most on. Actually, your big one. Your big and your pinky. Oh, pinky too. You can yeah get rid of those. Yeah. That's, yeah, that. that's what my foot's gonna look like. Yeah. Could we sell our toes? Uh, if anyone wants to buy our toes, you, you buy can some toes. email us I'm or if you, have, down payment if, you have, if you have some listener mail, uh, if you want to write us an email, or if you want to buy our toes, yeah. we're accepting <laughs> offers at pascast at donutmedia.com. Uh, and let us know if you want us to read it in a baby accent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, thank you, producers Christina and Gavin, as always. And, and our Nick writer, Chloe. And Chloe Rodriguez. Chloe Rodriguez. Soon to be Chloe Sykes. Maybe. Maybe. We're still figuring Maybe out what we talked about do. it. Yeah. My last name's not even on the table. <laughs> My last name. My last name's not even on the <laughs> table. <laughs> Stupid last name. So we're just going to change it. <laughs> So I also, like your last name. I don't know why this keeps coming up. It's a goofy name. It's cool. It's stupid. No, it's not. It's no, it's dumb. not. I used to think the same thing about my name. And now Yours I love is it. tight. It means, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're psycho. Means, yeah, right? Uh, all right. Um, that's been the show. Thank I'm you so much. I'm taking suggestions for last name change. I'm thinking, so right now my top ones are Rothschild <laughs> <laughs> or Getty. What about... Uh, Honor the guy who write in and have it be Tanner. No, James Tanner. James Tanner. <laughs> it's a freaking full house. You're right. I'm thinking Vanderbilt, Rothschild, Getty, or Gotti. James Gotti. Gotti. Yeah. And you start wearing a pinky ring. Dude, maybe I just, should I change my name to Gandolfini? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right, whatever. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>